everybody, welcome to Literary Disco on Lit Hub Radio, episode 141, Mallory O'Meara and Kill the Next One. Today, we welcome guest author Mallory O'Meara, who has a new book coming out. Uh, well, actually, it's probably already out by the time this episode is out. March 5th is the official release date for The Lady from the Black Lagoon, Hollywood Monsters and the Lost Legacy of Millicent Patrick. So we're going to talk to Mallory about her book, which is the true story of an unsung hero of horror. And then, as is the literary disco tradition, rather than simply interviewing an author, we asked Mallory to pick a book for all of us to read and discuss, and she chose Kill the Next One, a crime novel from Argentina, written by Federico Axat. This is Literary Disco, the last book club you'll ever need, where Todd, Julia, and Ryder, three old friends who love to read, debate, and sometimes even agree. I am actor and filmmaker Ryder Strong. Joining me, as always, are novelist and critic Todd Goldberg and essayist and radio personality Julia Pistel. Hi, guys. Hey! Hi. And in this corner of Los Angeles, with me physically, we have screenwriter, author, and film producer, Mallory O'Meara. Welcome to the disco, Mallory. I am so glad that you guys had me on, even though I asked you to read such a weird book. (laughs) (laughs) And we we should note that uh, Mallory is also the co-host of a great podcast herself called Reading Glasses, um, which I'm a big fan of. Um, And just to be clear ahead of time, Mallory, I just want to make sure something. Federico Axat. Author of Kill the Next One. Not not your dad or anything, right? Not my dad, not my boyfriend. I, I have never met this man in my life. Todd is making sure he can trash this book. I just, is, that, uh, is that what you're setting yourself Does he for? come to America a lot? Okay. <laughs> you know, I have no idea. I feel like I'm watching Todd build himself a little uh, safety net so he can yes, just so really he can die. Just does he strike you as vengeful? Do you think he... <laughs> <laughs> Do you think he likes to fight? <laughs> I would pay so much. It's like okay, it's you and the you versus Frederico and the possum. You two Jesus. have to fight each other. Jesus. Tag team. All right. Before we get into Frederico and the possum and Axon, let's talk about Mallory's book. Okay. Um, the lady from the Black Lagoon is. It's built around a. a a really cool fact that I don't think a lot of people know, or at least I didn't know until I'd heard about your book, which is that probably the most famous Hollywood creature of all time, the creature from Black Lagoon, was designed by a woman. Um, so how did you first find out about that, about Millicent? And then when did you start writing this book? So when I was a teenager, I'm the only one in my family who likes monster stuff. So I had to sort of teach myself how to like, you know, I had to give myself my own education. I watched the Frankenstein, Wolfman, all those movies with myself. And then I finally got to Creature from the Black Lagoon and I loved it. And in my nerdy teenage ways, I was like, I have to know everything about this movie because that's what you do when you're a nerdy teenager. So I went online and I was looking up all like behind the scenes stuff and trivia. And I saw a picture of a woman working on the creature suit. Mm. And I was like, oh my God, I had never seen a woman working behind the scenes on a movie and behind the scenes on a monster movie. Right. And it just was like a little caption. It was like, Millicent Patrick, designer and artist. And I was like, who is that? And she became my hero. And now, years later, I became a horror filmmaker myself. And she was always sort of like my talisman. And um, I ended up getting a tattoo of her, which I I love telling the story on podcasts because you can't see it. But I can because I'm listening to the podcast. (laughs) That's awesome. Um, and then, you know, when you get a tattoo of someone, you sort of become a kiosk. <laughs> but nobody knew what happened to her. So people would ask me, they're like, oh, my God, Millicent Patrick, she designed the creature. What do you know about her? And I was like, that's it. <laughs> so I was having a conversation with a literary agent friend of mine. And he was like, you should look into this story and write that book. And I'm a dummy. And I spent all of my savings and years of my life doing it. And I fa- ended up finding everything that happened to her. Yeah. Um and I just sort of poured my life into solving this mystery, which was uh, quite a ride. Well, yeah, it's really exciting. Go the, and the thing about the book, too, Mallory, that, you know, you could have written sort of a dry uh, retelling of this woman's life, and it would have been great, you know, because she had a fascinating life. And then all of the ancillary characters that you run into in the uh, Hollywood horror world of the 1940s and 1950s are all either assholes or characters themselves <laughs> as well. Um, but you have such granular detail in every single sentence of this book. I, I mean, I am, I'm amazed at the amount of research you had to do. And 
I'm, you know, from strictly from a craft perspective, I need to know how you didn't just sit down and start to cry when you tried to figure out how to put it all together. I'm really, really proud that you are assuming that I didn't. <laughs> I feel like the actual acknowledgement section of this book should have been to ibuprofen and bourbon. And that's it. Uh, there Get was a lot the of <laughs> yeah. There was a lot of um, uh, obstacles writing this book because one, there's a lot of people who still don't believe that she wrote, designed the creature because she was a woman, and they straight up were like, "Oh, she didn't do anything." And these are historians saying this to me. Oh, she didn't do anything. She must have been someone's girlfriend. She was just there because she was hot. As if on every film set, someone's like, "Hey, we need a hot chick just walking around here to do nothing." <laughs> uh, might have been like that in the yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you do actually kind of show the that 70s, that was the probably case. Too, actually, Jesus. <laughs> all right, sorry, go on. <laughs> yeah. uh, and, and her story, you know, because of a lot of the sexism, it's depressing. Yeah. So I really wanted to tell it in a way that was a little more accessible, a little more fun. I'm very snarky and sarcastic myself, so that's just sort of my voice. And I just, once I started, once I abandoned the idea of being a respectable nonfiction author and just started making dick jokes and calling everyone assholes it started to flow better because that's how i talk right. but it also as i was you know hearing feedback from my editor and my agent they were like mallory this makes people connected to you it makes people yep. connected to her it makes people actually want to read it and i was like oh well right on this is cool and yeah. it just sort of came together i love that you basically have written a piece of history born out of your teenage interests and like discovering your re real voice it feels like so authentic to like the project of feminism right now is like not trying to buy into somebody else's idea of what a history work could be. So good job. Thank you. <laughs> no, I really appreciate that because I we got rejected by I think maybe almost 40, 50 publishers because oh of God. that reason. They all wanted a dry, dry biography right. until I got in a conversation. I got on the phone with my current editor, Peter Joseph at Hanover Square Press and we just clicked right away and he really got it and was all into it. And now, you know, it's, I'm really excited where you have this big launch, but it's so funny because so many people thought it was a terrible idea. But well, isn't the mark of, give, uh, go oh, ahead, Julie, I'm sorry. I, isn't the mark of like great historic nonfiction, like that you're going to summarize it to your friends in your own voice anyway. Like mm -hmm. I read in the heart of the sea, but, when I describe it, it's in my like, oh, I'm so into it voice. So, oh, God, editors, they didn't know anything, huh? Except for your good one. <laughs> well, except for Peter. Peter is amazing. He's the one who actually, he asked me to be more snarky. He made my dick jokes funnier. Yeah. Like, he really got it. And I am so, so grateful to him. So if you are out there and you have a project that people think is stupid, there's someone out there who's going to get it. You just got to keep going. Well, to, well to, I think there's something more even to, than to, like, because, I mean, you're talking about, like, the, the tone and the mm -hmm. sort of approach to the storytelling, which is absolutely correct. Like, the first person factor is so great for that. But there's also really important parallels between, you know, this woman that you're sort of distantly researching and your own life right. entering Hollywood at the time that you're researching and sort of entering this what is still essentially a boys club of the horror film world, especially the low budget horror film world. Do you want to talk about that experience a little bit? Yeah. I think it's really important for nerds to have at least one person <laughs> in your life who is not a nerd. Yeah. So as I was researching this project, I was talking to my friend Kate, who's also a filmmaker, but she's like a normal person who likes normal people things. And she was like, Mallory, if I don't like monster movies, if I'm not into horror, why would I want to read this book? And the first words out of my mouth were because what happened to Millicent Patrick is still happening right now right. yeah. and it happens to me right. and she was like you really need to write about that so it, it was really important for me for to tell a story that was like it's so easy to be like you know what this thing happened in the 50s to this woman right. such a bummer you know but thank god it's like, not like that anymore pat right. ourselves on the back right <laughs> but the thing is, it's, it is so i so right. i was like what's the best way for me to show that i'll just give some examples from my own life yeah. and it ended up what it is. It's sort of like part memoir, part biography. Yeah. And those examples are so true to my own experience too. Yeah. In, I'm sure. in the, like, it, like just the, the discomfort, like the, that moment that you describe where like you have some shitty interaction with an actor coming over to do voiceover or, yeah. or to do and it was like, I've been in that room when somebody, and it's always, it's always the, the actor with like, 
power or, yep. you know, that nobody's going to like criticize because they're just there for like an hour or two and they just have to keep your mouth shut. Yep. And I'm like, oh, it was so painful to sort of think about how many times I've been in that situation. And, and no one knows what to do. And it's... No, I think finally that is hopefully changing, like literally within the last six months or a year. <laughs> yeah. But I don't know. Um, it is pretty... crazy how fast things are happening because yeah. now everyone's like, oh my God, are people going to talk about this on Twitter? Well, wh- when was it that <laughs> Eliza Dushku got you know that that story about her her job on that show where she ended up getting paid off nine and a half million dollars or whatever it was. Oh, yeah. I mean, I mean that was like six months ago, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Things are absurd. happening quickly. So, yeah. uh, and also, I I I, keep, I kept having to remember that I was writing about a woman that nobody heard of. Right. Nobody wants to read a dry biography of someone they've never heard of. Yeah. I I really needed to make people able to get into this story very easily. Well, and that's the thing that I think is, I suspect is going to be surprising for you, or maybe it's not going to be surprising for you, but there's no way that after this book comes out and you start getting the write-ups that you deserve in the major press that you don't sell this book to some studio that makes a fantastic either TV show on, on Amazon or Netflix about this or a movie. You know, like this is this is a great hidden figure story, essentially, of uh, the the studio system of Hollywood of monster movies, but also of the real monsters that lurk in any workplace, right? Like, you, you've you written inexplicably an allegory for our time about a woman from the 1950s. Well, that was the funny part. So while I was, before, way before, I, I started writing this way before Me Too happened, and I sold the book, and I'm working on it, and then all of a sudden Me Too happened, and then Shape of Water happened. Oh, right. Yeah. So, <laughs> all of a sudden, all these people that thought my book was a terrible idea we're like, oh, hey, Mallory, wow. Because, uh, you know, like, unless you're in the entertainment industry or any sort of industry like that and you see these things, people were like, no one wants to hear that. These things aren't widespread. Right. But every filmmaker I talked to, they were like, oh, yeah, I've been in that room. I was in that room last week. Exactly. Like, I see this stuff happen all the time. Yeah. And so my pub date got bumped up by a few months. Oh, how cool. I had to, I was, uh, I mean, how cool, yes. And cut cut to a year ago with me like pulling my hair out in my underwear that I've been wearing for three days writing as fast as I possibly can uh but we wanted to have it out March um because March is Women's History Month and weirdly March 5th is the exact 65th anniversary of Creature from the Black Lagoon oh Oh, cool we did not plan it at all it was just random it was so strange so So for listeners I I just want to give an example of what we're talking about uh Mallory's sort of unusual style so I just opened I just opened this up to a page at random but it ends up being perfect this is 287 if you're reading at home um and mallory is talking about uh, a guy named lee trent who was the first voice of the lone ranger and who ends up um working with millicent later on uh lee was a rich man but stayed a little bit bitter about never making it in hollywood he wasn't a fan of the lone ranger television show or any of the newer movies he became one of those crotchety old dudes who constantly lament the passing of the quote good old days. And then there is a footnote number one forty eight in the book. So you go down to footnote number one forty eight, and it says, "I'm doing the jack off hand motion here." <laughs> <laughs> That's the high quality literature you're gonna get when That's, you buy Lady that, from the Black Lagoon. That is MLA style, but not what you expect. <laughs> One of my favorite parts of the book is um, you 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 you're, you're obviously spending a lot of time on this this project of like unearthing this person and sort of making her more present in our lives and in the public. But you're also very honest about her, and mm-hmm. I thought that was super cool. And my favorite was when you're willing to admit that she's a horrible actor. <laughs> uh, so yeah, can we talk about that experience of yeah. like how? Because that was it's like about. I'm almost halfway through the book, I feel like, where it starts to turn and you like, realize she's not all that you had hoped. Yeah, I re- that was really, really important to me. And at first, you know, I'm trying to get the world to find out about this woman who they had never heard of before. Her legacy's been hidden. So for the first six months, I felt very protective of her. And I was like, oh, I have to make, you know, you know, it's like when you have a new boyfriend and you don't want to tell anyone the bad stuff and you just <laughs> tell them all the great things that they do. Uh, but then as I got to writing about her, I was like, okay, there, this is this woman who did this really important thing she's my hero but if i portray her as this flawless person then who's gonna feel like they can follow in her footsteps 
every time I found out about her making terrible romantic decisions, of which she makes many, or, and you know, failing at something or being bad at something, it made me feel closer to her and right. it made me feel more connected to her and it made her a human being. And then I realized, oh my God, I really have to put the whole kitchen sink in here. I have to put all of her flaws because then maybe some girl out there who has just made a terrible romantic decision will be like, you know what? I can still have terrible taste in men and do great things. <laughs> <laughs> An inspiring message from our times. <laughs> <laughs> That's my motto. Well, and you, there's there's a point. Um, well, so there's two two points I want to bring up. One is that I learned so much about the history of makeup uh, and uh, design work in Hollywood from reading this book, and even just something simple like sometimes the artist designing the makeup is the one to apply it. Like I had never really thought of it, um, and I happened to read that a couple days before the Academy Awards had initially announced that they weren't going to. Um, announced the award winners for hair and makeup on live TV, and then everyone went fucking nuts. Um, but so, like, there's that little thing. But then, to go back to what you're saying about her acting and just her as a person, this is uh, this is page 291. You say, one interesting affectation that Middleton had was her way of speaking. So, at this point, I was like, oh, God, what are we, what are we about to learn? Um <laughs> And it's it's actually, it's, it's heartbreaking. You say, I don't want to call it an accent. It was more of a character voice. Her voice was naturally deep, but she pitched it lower to sound even more regal and sonorous. She sounded like she was addressing royalty, even calling people darling, as if she was trying to play the part of a fancy Hollywood actress in real life. As Gwen described it, even when she wasn't acting, she was acting. This habit became more pronounced during this time. That's heartbreaking, you know? Like, she's, she can't even, here she is creating other skins for people and she can't live in her own. Oh, man, that hurts. Yeah. You know? Well, that, w- that was one of the hardest parts about the research process was she had created, Millicent Patrick is not her real name. She created this facade around herself and breaking through that made me look at her very, very differently. And it was sad watching her create this facade that helped her originally. But as a lot of people realize, as you know, actors get older, sometimes it becomes too much to carry and you can't keep it up anymore. And it was really sad reading about how she, you know, it, it was hard to find the real Millicent. Right. It's never a good sign when somebody changes their name like five times. Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like once in your life? Okay. Yes. <laughs> By the, the fifth time when you're taking on a new name, it's like, oh yeah. Um, I no, I, really... love, I love the fact, like, for, you know, there's so many Hollywood stories are either success stories about people who, you know, and then they went on to win every Oscar under the sun and be this billionaire. Or their stories of like absolute failure and like they ended up alone and dead in the gutter. And like what I loved is that she's somewhere in between. Do you know what I mean? Like she's actually much closer to the reality of most of the people I know that work in the film industry, which is we have like brushes with glory. We have moments of like real, like, oh, we're going to be huge. And then actually our life kind of goes by where we just get, you know, we do our work and like we know other people that are more invested or less invested and we see people, I don't know, it, it really spoke to a different era of Hollywood that resonated with me as far as like, oh, just like a working class sort of Hollywood mm-hmm. experience. An industry. Yeah, yeah. I, you don't hear about that that often. I, I didn't want to have her riding off into the sunset, you right. know, or like you said, dead in a gutter. Because right. the true... The truth for a lot of working artists is, like you said, there's peaks and valleys. Someday, right. like you know, it's funny right now. You know, I have this book coming out, and everyone's like, "Oh, it's so exciting! This overnight thing." I was like, "I've been working on this overnight. for three years. <laughs> I've spent my entire savings on this." Right. You know, and then you do a project, and you have a blip for a while, and then you fall back down again, and it takes yeah. another however many years to to make something else, or maybe you might never make something else. I know a lot of people who like you know did what wrote one. Look at Harper Lee. Yep, she wrote one book, and then it's like yeah. that was it for her life so yeah. but there's it's not like she wrote to kill a mockingbird and then like stopped right and just like froze herself you know there was a whole life that went went with with that so i really wanted to show her as a real human being yeah yeah, yeah. well i think you succeeded it's uh, thank you cool. great there's, there's job so Mallory. Much, there's so much other great stuff i can't wait for um i can't wait for what's about to happen for you mallory because this is going to be big i think people are really gonna um appreciate the the story that you've told and then when um, you are portrayed in the TV show, 
by oh probably Kate Beckinsale, I guess, would probably play you. Um, in the duel, like, they'll have the present day Your Journey Through Hollywood, where it's Kate Beckinsale as you. But also Kate Beckinsale Kate as Melissa in this the point, past. Buddy. We need to find someone who's heavily tattooed and, ha- and doesn't see very well. Look, I just really like Kate Beckinsale. Okay? Yeah, she's like 45. That's yeah, it, it, fine. It's like a whole, that's like your generation's Mallory. Like, right. She could be like Ellen Page and just be yes. in the same age on screen for the rest of her life. <laughs> Well, anyway, it's going to be awesome for you. Um, so for listeners um, around the country, are you doing events? Uh, where can people come see you? Uh, I am going on book tour uh, all uh, in March, April, and May, and a little part of June. You can just go to MalloryOmera.com. All my events are there. Uh, I spend way too much time on Twitter, like uh, a lot of writers do. So I post a lot of things, uh, updates on things that I'm doing there. That's just at Mallory O'Mara. So that's a good place to find me. Cool. All right, so let's All talk right. about Todd's favorite novel of yeah. the year. Yeah. Um, this I is the want to caveat this by saying I warned Todd. I was like, this book is very weird and has a lot of strong content. And he's like, it's going to be fine. I was like, okay, here we go. But it's a lot to talk about. That's yeah. the great thing about it for a is podcast. It, I think... Is it a lot? <laughs> <laughs> All right. You're going to be the harshest on this. I knew it because it's a crime story. And it's not a crime story. It's not, oh Jesus! Here we go. He just thinks it's a crime. All right, so this is, we're we're talking about "Kill the Next One" by Frederico Axat, A X A T, and he's an Argentinian author. author. So we're reading a translation. What? Stop! <laughs> Jesus! Uh, all right, so let's ask the the most important question, which is Mallory, why this book? Where where, where did you first hear about this book? Uh, so. This what I'm about to say is going to make everything make sense for Todd. Okay. I am a big fan of David Lynch. Yes. A huge David Lynch fan. And I saw this book on a list of books to read if you like David Lynch. That makes sense. Okay. You could you could put that on a roll of toilet paper and I would use it. I would <laughs> talk, I will look at or try anything if you make it a comp to David Lynch things. And cuz I love weird fiction, I love novelty, I I I love not not quite knowing what's happening. It just is very, very exciting to me. It's very stimulating to me. I love not n- quite knowing what happened and thinking about things and rereading things. And I thought, this book is very weird. It is a very weird concept. I think there's a lot of great stuff to talk about for a podcast. And I've also been trying really hard to read a lot more translated fiction. Yeah, and so this okay. is translated by David Fry. So I thought this was a great combo. And uh, I'm very interested to hear your thoughts. <laughs> I can see Todd pulling out a large knife as he just stabs this book over and over again. We should decide right here and now how much of this book we're going to spoil because the plot does change every 40 or 50 pages. Yeah, I think. But you can't spoil it because you have no idea what's happening. Well, I mean, like. Until a big turning point. So I think we're going to spoil it. We can spoil a fair amount of it, but I think a lot of listeners actually will enjoy this book, but it'll be impossible for me not to at some point scream something out okay so maybe just listeners just like you normally do just mute me <laughs> I, think, I think there are enough twists and turns that we can probably i mean this is a 400 and some page book right yeah. I, think, I think we can probably reveal two or three of the major twists and there are still three or four more right. so like sure i don't think we should worry about it too much um can i just say by the way speaking of the muting me i made a mistake of looking at our itunes reviews the other day and there was this itunes review there was this itunes review that said i get condescended to enough in real life i don't need todd goldberg <laughs> condescending to me <laughs> that's I, I should use it as a bumper sticker <laughs> yeah i'm like that's some great literary disco merch right there and i was like let me go ahead and print this out and hand it to my wife so she can say it to me as well like i don't need to talk over to condescend to me no one does it's just it's what you get <laughs> um, all right so that's awesome to hear about the david lynch thing because i definitely not only had that thought like oh this feels like a david lynch movie but there's a character named lynch in the book and i was like oh I this is totally yeah, he, yeah it's gotta be self-conscious because because i had the same thought i was yeah. like this is too this is so david lynchian this is clearly like a mulholland drive lost highway mashup with the little blue velvet thrown in there it's like yeah it's it's very lynchian all of which has been done better in a book called remainder by tom mccarthy we're going to put that out there and we'll discuss it as we go 
Todd, I will, as payment for making you read this book, I will read Remainder and give you my book report. You will love Remainder. but we'll... It's literally right next to us right now, because I, I think I've had this for a while in my two reads. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Give it, give it to book. Mallory. It's a, that's, I'll buy it. That's your party. I'm actually going to the bookstore after this, so I will buy, I will buy this book. Um, my penance for me. <laughs> All right, so let's one. just let's just give a basic summary. The, oh, that should be Kill fun. the next one opens with a man named Ted McKay about to put a bullet through his brain when the doorbell rings. That's literally the first sentence. Right. And a guy shows up and says, "Don't kill yourself. I'm going to uh, bring you into an organization where you can kill other people that want to die who are suicidal, and then someone will eventually come and murder you as this sort of suicide loop, which is like one kind of crazy plot that this book introduces. Uh, turns out that that's not what's going on. Shocker. At all. Um, but that that is like the simplest plot. Uh, from right. there on, there's a... There's, there's a uh, brain tumors, there's an insane asylum, there's a wife rats. and the children, there's, there's multiple murderers. Well, and let me interject is- here, because like, I feel like one of the first big twists, now I just watched Russian Doll, like I'm sure everyone listening, so there's also this restarting element where, right. you know, it, the book starts over a couple of times, so... Throwing that out there, too. I think that's important for us to get on the table because this book is not linear. Uh, Although it ends up being more linear, it does start to give you the sense that you're stuck in some kind of strange loop as well. Yeah, and and for listeners that like sort of weird fiction, um, the the closest sort of uh, non-in-translation comp I can give you, in addition to Tom McCarthy, would be the books of Jesse Ball. Uh, If you like Jesse Ball... Um, you will love uh, parts of Federico Asshat's 500-page novel that goes nowhere people, and does nothing. If people really like Scorsese's um, uh, Shutter Island, that yeah, that which is based if you on like, a book. Love yeah. Shutter Island, which I did. Like I was one of those people that had low expectations, so I watched Shutter Island. And I was like, yes. If you love that sort of like, is this really happening? Is it all in somebody's head? Yes, it is. No, it's not. That's what Kill the Next One yeah, is on. But a yes. lot of those same things. The novel version of Shutter Island by Dennis Lehane, um, he, he does it in a much clearer and more entertaining fashion. Uh, so let me just lay out my issues. Okay, okay. go ahead. <laughs> Todd, 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 this PowerPoint and, yeah. about how much he hates this My book. mother That's divorced in 1973. I was two years old. I never had a strong father figure in my life. Um, I Enter, look, kill the next one. <laughs> I, 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 am, I am all for um, unusual fiction. I like strange fiction. I like books that make me question reality, just like the Tom McCarthy book I mentioned or the Jesse Ball book I mentioned. But this book does it in such a way that it requires the characters, both real and imagined, to speak so expositionally about all the things real and imagined in this world that it's almost impossible to put yourself into a book as you're reading it. The entire time I was like, this guy is building me a maze just so at the end he's going to have someone explain to me what's in the center of it if I don't ever get there. Um, And... I don't find that as a reader fulfilling as entertainment and even as sort of like an intellectual exercise, like do I do I want to watch Lost over and over and over again to try to figure out if that fucking polar bear is ever going to show back up? No, not really. Um, <laughs> and I felt the same way with this is like there's there's three or four actually interesting parts. There, there is a part in here about the main character, um, Ted, and his friend Justin – when they're in college, um, where the author actually reveals true human emotion and gets to the heart of who these characters are and people act like actual human beings and not um, characters in uh, a fever dream. And in that part of it, I I connected to it. And the rest of the time, I was like, pay attention to the possum. Pay, pay attention to this image and that image. And that's not... The possum, I will say, is my favorite part. It's pretty awesome. Me too. Yeah. It's my favorite. So there's a there's a hallucination that Ted keeps having, or maybe it's real. We, we, we won't explain one way or the other. Of a possum sort of entering mundane situations and no one else sees it. And it's right. very unnerving. Um, I thought I thought that was brilliant. Every time the possum I came in, I was it. like, ugh! Super Ugh. creeped out. Because yeah, possums are scary. They are so scary. Once I... I came home and there was just a possum sitting on my front stoop 
and (laughs) it was like it was like an omen and it was sitting in front of my door said the possum yeah (laughs) and i looked it up well i was like i don't know why i looked this up but i during this incident i looked up like maybe it has rabies because it's like out during the day and an interesting thing is like possums can't get rabies like their body temperature doesn't support it so (laughs) possums are like the least gross scary they're just doing their thing and then i figured out that there must have been like baby possums somewhere and this is the mom like moving into my house guarding her babies (laughs) under my house um but it was so I was like, kudos to this guy for identifying the number one creepiest animal. <laughs> right? Like, all, all the snake literature, all the whatever cat, creepy cats. No, fuck that. No. Possums are it. And I was like, this is, yes, that was my favorite part too. Anyway, go on, Todd, with all your issues. Well, the, those are, well, I will creep back up with my issues. The possum is a good one. I, here, I, I had a hard time falling into a fictional universe that I knew was not even the fictional universe of this book, if that makes any sense to you. I don't like being confused for the sake of entertainment. Oh, that's my jam. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I mean, I like a mystery, right? Like, I, I, that that I'm into, but I don't know. Like, I loved Russian Doll, which is a TV show, and I loved Shutter Island, which is a book, and I love Remainder. So this book, Remainder, that I mentioned, a guy is walking down the street in a, a, a piece of space junk falls out of the sky, hits him in the head, and he gets like a $50 million settlement. And he goes about recreating scenes from his life that he can't quite remember, including bank robberies and all sorts of stuff. He buys an apartment building and has people cooking meats that he remembers the smell of, all kinds of weird shit. And you never know what's real and what's not real, including when he decides to hire people to rob a bank as part of his memory. You don't know if that's real or not real. And so, like, a book like that I'm really into. This one, I was like, most of this stuff is a dream or it's a hallucination. And, like, my own dreams and hallucinations I don't want to be in. <laughs> so, funny fact about me is that I love this book, but if there's a dream sequence in a book, I will skip over it. Yeah. yeah. I hate dream yeah. sequences. This book I love because I felt like the exact experience of you go through, uh, you know, some sort of experience in your life and then you get a new piece of information and you look at that, what just happened to you completely differently. Yeah. And I feel like this book is taking you, this guy, this character is a labyrinth and he has told himself a story, but other people are telling themselves stories about him and you get to see how they perceive him, how he perceives himself. And as he gets this more information about himself, you get deeper and deeper and deeper. And I just had a blast with it because also like as you start out the book, just the premise that kicks it off is so fascinating. This idea Mm -hmm. that this guy is like, Hey, wait, don't kill yourself. Kill this bad guy and this other guy who wants to die and then we'll kill you. And it's cool. And it's such a weird crazy concept that you want to know what happens next so badly that it pulls you through some of that confusion and then you get more and more intrigued at like what actually happened to this guy what did this guy do so mallory absolutely i'm I'm landing somewhere between you and todd because (laughs) it's funny like i just I, i guess i feel the opposite of what you guys feel it's like well, I, Todd, I had no desire for like a realistic environment or details or whatever. Once, once it started looping back, I was like, oh, this is just completely fucking weird. Like there's no omniscience to the setting. It's just right. like this thin, like cross section description of whatever's going on. And if that's the whole concept, like I'm on board. My issues stemmed from like it didn't stick with anything really weird that it made for long enough. Like, I wanted to see more of this Suicide Club thing. I wanted to see there's, like, this odd, like, interdimensionality thing that's, like, kind of suggested that isn't stuck with very long. You know, like, you all the weird you things. You introduce interdimensionality and just be like, eh. Yeah. <laughs> uh, exactly. So I just wanted, I feel like I wanted more of what Todd hated. <laughs> Which is like the weird shit. I was like, I want to see it all the way played out or returned to, right? Like some kind of regression. That I think is very, very valid. An organizing principle. It it lacked an organizing principle, essentially. But like, okay, so this idea of sort of paying it forward with suicide, like instead of you killing yourself and your family thinking, oh, he was a crazy person who killed himself. 
and instead being murdered and therefore being um, like a martyr to your family or a hero for suffering a violent crime. Now that is a book I would read. Exactly. <laughs> like, and like, so we need more. That's that is a, been done. That yeah, is a book I, I would write. <laughs> yeah. And so like I was – like that initial premise, I was like, oh, well, I kind of like that because – of course, you know that that someone's going to end up fucking that up, and you know, then you know, there's going to be a chase. Tommy Lee Jones will be involved, um, <laughs> but that's not that's not at all what the book is about. <laughs> so, Ryder, what did what did you think? Yeah, I mean, I I, I think every, I mean, look, I think Todd is absolutely right. Like the dialogue is atrocious, terrible. Um, the characters are very thin. The world is not believable. I just didn't care. Yeah, like I, I, I'm really I really, on the same page with you. I'm pretty much like I realize like this this book is pure plot. Like if you enjoy the the plotting, like yeah. where like every five pages is like, but that was just the rug that I'm pulling out from under you. Like if you like that feeling when you're reading, that's what this book is for. Is to just make you keep reading and make you keep going. Like wait a minute, what the hell is going on? And like yeah, I I think I quickly just just decided to enjoy that and stop judging it for like, there's some really weird shit. Like just like the way that Ted relates to his therapist and you know, like, yeah. there's like a romance storyline between two of the therapists at one point. Yeah. It's so weird. And like, I didn't know if I'm supposed to think it's weird or if I'm supposed to be rooting for that. And so, like there are lots of just like poorly written character things. It's like being on a janky roller coaster. Yeah. But you're still having fun. <laughs> yeah. That's actually a good description. I would say this I'm is like a crying like wooden roller coaster that you're like, well, the fun is that it might fall apart at any moment. Yes. That's not fun. Um, <laughs> you know, the real, the, the, what really damns this book is like the fact that, um, I don't know who said this. Maybe it's like a, 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 a is it Gardner? Like one of, Todd, you probably know. There's like a famous book on writing that uh, like every you know mfa student reads at some point i'm not sure if it's john gardner's lessons of the novel or, or something else but where he talks about how there's so many mystery stories that begin with somebody having amnesia mm-hmm. because it reflects the writer not knowing what is going to happen right next with the story <laughs> so like when you create a story where a character is like about to do something but doesn't remember why they were about to do it so the second i got that as the opening of the book i was like oh no we're in trouble and sure <laughs> enough if you go to the acknowledgements yeah, oh, yeah. the first sentence is uh, this book was not written overnight ted mckay which is the main character remained in his study for a long time waiting for the author to grasp the true reasons behind his decision so I really feel like this is Frederico Axat backing himself into a corner plot-wise over and over and over again and sort of writing his way out of it. Right. I think that can be fun. Like, I enjoyed it. I totally had fun because, like I said, I just surrendered to it. But no, it's not like a believable Well, world. okay, so it doesn't need to be believable necessarily. Like, I, I had a book, the book I did with Brad Meltzer, The House of Secrets. It's not believable in the least. And it's a woman who has no emotional memory after a car accident. Like, that's absurd. Um, <laughs> it sold a million copies, but that's absurd. Um, but I, what I can tell you is, like, by the end of that book, or even or even other books I've written with unreliable narrators, my I always attempt to to build some firm ground beneath the reader's feet, so that something remains a constant, so that there's there's something that is always true in every scene. Um, so that it doesn't feel like a great, you know, cheat at the end when someone says, well, what you didn't realize, and then a talking dog and Shaggy come out. And, <laughs> um, and I'm, not, I'm not saying that this book is a failure for, for the things it does. It's not to my taste necessarily. But by the end, he, he does attempt to, to bow this up. But, but it, doesn't, it doesn't actually adhere to his bow. Like if you go back and look through it, it's it's not tightly wound, um, and maybe that doesn't matter. Like if you're on a cruise ship or you're laying up by the pool and you just want to be really confused and feel like you're high, but you're in a state that marijuana is not legal in, I can't recommend highly <laughs> enough. Kill the next one, a novel by Federico X. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you're describing a situation where I would actually like. Yeah. I think for other people, like like where they would seek out like a romance or horror, right? 
This like I I this is like a sweet spot that I could see myself like if you told me like a beach read for yeah. yeah a beach read for like crime like a crimey psycho beach read like, guys totally I have yeah. to intervene here because this is the state in which I read this book I just <laughs> went on vacation I got off the plane and I, I, let me tell you some like facts around this like I got off the plane I had brought six books with me I read this one first I read it like completely nonstop basically all day and then fascinatingly at the end of my trip i put all the books in the like little free library at the beach where i was staying and i went back to return a towel like 20 minutes later and this book was fucking gone like this (laughs) i i was like whoa i had put all these really great books on there and it was somebody saw this and was like this is the junk food i want to eat while burning the shit out of my body with the sun and like it was it's so funny to me what you're saying todd because like i just i was pissed that there was an answer at all honestly like if it had gone way more in the like you know possums can lead us to another consciousness (laughs) direction (laughs) i think i would have been on the surface more mad but like it seemed to finish the project of what the book was doing, but it, it ends and we won't say what the ending is at all, but it does end in a way it's like, here's the real truth. Like, here's what happened. This is really about like something very real. And it's like what everyone thinks they want in an ending. And I was just like, oh, fuck. Now this is every other crime yeah. or mystery novel. And I just want to like spin off into fucking outer space while I drink pina coladas and you know binge read it the ending is bad yeah i love well i love the ending i hated the ending until that thing that we won't spoil for listeners happens and then i was like oh yeah i love this (laughs) little little zinger still um i what do you guys think about okay so one thing that i thought was successful in the weirdness was how closely it sticks with ted can we talk a little more about this dumb romance between other characters? <laughs> no. It's very uncomfortable. <laughs> it's pretty weird. No. I mean, the only thing I could think of is it's it's a romance between his therapist and then another doctor that works at the and like my only thinking was that it's this weird red herring. You start thinking that the therapist is like a villain mm-hmm. that she is like using romance to entice this other doctor. But then that doesn't really turn out to be the case. So it is super weird. And I do, what I do like about this book is it kind of reflects like, you know, it's hard to, if you've ever gone to therapy, you know, the, the therapists are are sometimes a big question mark because you don't really know what they're really thinking, what their right. real motivations are, what they really think of you, what they're really doing. Are they, right. the therapist that you see is not a real person. It is your therapist and they go off and later are an actual person. So I thought that part was interesting, but I think it, I think it, the problem is that, is it uh it's a male author who is not great at writing women it's like how do i make a woman more interesting i'll make her (laughs) her in love with somebody (laughs) and i'm just like hey you know that women are people and they have like other things that they like so i that's like definitely an issue that i see and i think that was him trying to be like how can i give her more dimension ha i'll have her smooch someone like that like that's how women are interesting in books right Right. by making them kiss other people well mallory i don't know mallory i don't know why you would say that i mean there was obviously the cheating wife who looked great in her hot bikini and (laughs) the two little girls who did literally nothing uh there's tons of women in this book one giant breast that closes a chapter A second, a second therapist in a movie or a book is like a beautiful woman. I'm always like, Jesus Christ, yeah. what are we doing here? <laughs> like, yeah. It just immediately is like, really, are we gonna do this? Like, and not like, I don't know. I just the second it's like an attractive woman in her late twenties, early thirties with glasses. I'm like, okay, yeah, because that's a fantasy. Faye Dunaway and Thomas Crown Affair, basically. I think it's very hard for authors to yeah. write therapists because of that, because. And what therapists are realistically is inherently super boring in a book because they can't have any character traits. They have to just be like a neutral party who is like, if anything, it's just like kind and nice. So making them like, oh, I'll have her be beautiful, have big boobs, and it'll be great. (laughs) There was one time, can I tell you guys a horror story? So there was one time I was at my therapist. and Who is a possum. Who's (laughs) a a lovely... uh, 
human being, a German woman of about 60, and we're having a conversation about whatever existential pain I'm in, like, Kirkus didn't appreciate me, you know, whatever whatever it was. And I'm going on for, like, 45 minutes or whatever, and I can see she's a little disinterested, right? Which is fine, like, I don't she have... She has eyes painted on her glasses. Yeah, she's just, like, you know, watching the clock. And so, like, at the end, like, I felt like my performance wasn't very good, and I was like, so how are you doing? And she said, my husband died yesterday. And I was like... Oh, my God. I was like, why did you let me prattle on for the last 45 minutes? Why are you here? And she's like, this is the job. And I was like, that's not the job. She's like, you, you, I, I release you. Go home. But the twist is she tells everybody that it makes them feel better about their own yeah. problems. Oh my God. She's using that line for 60 years. <laughs> she's like, got another sucker out. But, but, like, that was the first time she had, as you were saying, Mallory, like, she existed as as a person to me and i was like uh, i i'm going to hug you now i'm just just to let you know i'm going to hug you now it's very weird and so i think it's such a hard thing to write about yeah. but yeah. He, i think the author in this case did it very ham fistedly or breast fistedly i guess and <laughs> this one it's so i mean it's so easy so much of this stuff boils down to like can this guy write women no. and the answer is unfortunately <laughs> No, usually not very well. Yeah. So I just like, I love this therapist conversation because I've never really like considered it very deeply other than in the like theatrical performances that I do improv wise. But like the hot therapist, it is like, that's the ultimate fantasy. It's like a hot lady who's there to listen to me and take me seriously and solve all my problems for me. Like, now that we've landed on this, I'm like, wow, that is so fucking annoying. Like, I will never tolerate this ever again. <laughs> um, oh, what's that Adam Sandler movie with Liv Tyler as his therapist? No, no but that, that's all you have to say. Like, that's, right. That is not a real movie. That, that can't be a real movie. No, it's the 9-11 movie. You remember what? that? No. No. With Adam um, Sandler? I think John Don Cheadle's in it, too. What? Where it's Adam Sandler. It was like one of the first 9-11 movies this isn't where Adam real. Sandler, uh, his wife and his two kids die yes. in one of the 9-11 movies. And so Don friends. Cheadle becomes his friend, his friend and, and he's like troubled and won't face his past. Yes, and Liv Tyler is his therapist and is trying to help him Ooh. through it. But she's Liv Tyler, so she's fucking Liv Tyler. And <laughs> he's Adam Sandler, so he looks like a like a sassy toe. And it's just like a very weird dynamic. Oh, sassy God, toe. <laughs> Uh, it's called Rain Me Over. Okay. Or Rain Over Me. Rain Over Me. Rain Over Me. That was uh, it. Okay. Yeah. Adam Sandler, 9 11. Okay. <laughs> who? It's just such a. Like, who came up with that? Like, we, we're going to do a really serious emotional movie about 9 11. Some guy was like, Adam get me, Sandler. Get me Sandler. Well, it's not even some guy. It's probably Adam Sandler was like, I want to be in that movie. And everybody was like, oh, fuck. Well, we, we have to do actually, that because that think means say yes. people will see it. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. God. Sad realities of Hollywood. The king but of the I 9-11 mean, movie, Adam Sandler. Oh, oh, God. But, I mean, again, the weird sexy boob therapist is just like something you fly by on the janky roller coaster of fun. Yeah. I. <laughs> there's, there are certain people to whom I will recommend this book. Yes. Um, like, people that love, like. You know who? That, like. You know who like this book is John Flynn York, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. Because he's the one who like told me to like, read LA Confidential years ago, and like he loves all those sort of like really pulpy, fun. Like, yeah, if you love stuff like that, yeah. this book is just a blast. It is, and it's and it's yeah, it's it's a puzzle within a puzzle within a puzzle. If like Inception is your favorite movie of all time, you'll probably enjoy this book. Who's who the fuck's favorite movie of all time is Inception? I I like uh, Inception. Like, Someone. It's like you're homesick. Like, oh, well, oh, I got Inception. I'm fine. <laughs> yeah, but you know what, Todd? What is your favorite Inception, Todd? I like Inception. It's no one's favorite movie, though, is it? But yeah, wait I a second. That it is. I... Wait, I think Todd, if this is, it's the same mood. Like you're saying, are you homesick? Would you watch Inception? Yep, I've done that. Like that's part of this mood. It's like I can't. I don't have the like brain waves to you know, really engage with something incredible, but I'm going to, like, just go down some kind of weird plot. You don't do that? I watch You've Got Mail when I'm sick. 
Okay, so there we have it. That's adorable, <laughs> by the way. And you're snuggy. Yes. Just like, yes. <laughs> but would oh, you you've say... you got mail on Galaxy Quest. Would you say You've uh, Got Mail is your favorite movie? Food. No. What's my favorite movie? Hmm. Oh, no. I've Quiz opened show. this Pandora's box. my favorite movie. Con- Still Quiz Con- Show. Conan the yeah. Barbarian. Actually, Galaxy sure. Quest is probably up there for one of your favorite movies. It's, Galaxy Quest has been like and, in the top ten that I've ever watched, for sure. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, if you love Vanilla Sky, you'll love <laughs> yeah. or even Memento. Going back yeah. to earlier, yeah. Yeah. like this is this is that sort of fun. Like you thought you were but reading so this, here, but you're really here's reading the, that. Here's the weird thing that I was questioning, having read Mallory's book first and having listened to Mallory's show before, is this is this feels to me, Mallory, like the counter to everything you actually like in your popular culture stuff. Uh, well, that's the funny part. So I have really bad anxiety and I also go to myself to therapy. So I love reading weird fiction and watching movies like David Lynch is the only time where I can comfortably not know what's going on. Mm. For me, this is catnip. Because I am the most organized, type A, scheduled. I know exactly what's happening every single hour of every single day. You were perfectly on time today. Yes. <laughs> to the minute. To the minute. <laughs> I sat in my car for Did three you? minutes. I was wondering. Waiting. My wife I'm is that, that way. She shows person. up early everywhere and has to wait in her car constantly. <laughs> That's me. Which means so, I get stuck waiting in the car with her half the time. I'm right, seven sorry, minutes late wherever I go. Seven minutes This is minutes a cool exactly. perspective. I like what you're saying. So All for right. me, this is weirdly a comfort right. read. Because right. whereas ah. for most people, it's a janky, terrifying roller coaster for Todd, for me, it's a fun time where I can, for <laughs> once in my life, just not worry about what's going to happen next, right. not know what's going on, just sort of be like, I don't know what, nothing in my real life is more stressful to me than not knowing what's happening. Huh. My partner laughs because sometimes <laughs> if I get stressed out, I'll just look at him and be like, what's happening right now? What is, what are we doing an hour from now what are we doing tomorrow but when i'm reading this book i can do it in a controlled environment and i can just be like i don't know what's happening whatever this is what normal people must feel like all the time <laughs> that is fascinating that, that is, is fascinating. fascinating i like that that's yeah, like you... it, this is an emotional horror story for you you know yeah, it's your horror 100 huh i love that's what that's why I love it. And that's so uh, when it's funny because I like it's one of those things where I love stuff like this. I love David Lynch. And but I understand why someone wouldn't like it. Yeah. People yeah. are always uh, apologizing to me. I'm a huge Twin Peaks fan. <laughs> so and people always feel like I'm so sorry. I don't like Twin Peaks. I'm like, I like it enough for everybody. You don't yeah. have to feel bad at all. <laughs> like I just this is my this is my weird comfort stuff. So I can understand. That's why I thought it would be a really interesting podcast discussion. Because for me, this is like not knowing what's happening and all this crazy exposition the th- things that are making Todd bleed from his eyes I mean I'm like oh this is it's gonna put me to sleep this is wonderful yeah. so, well and really Todd has a different weird. perspective on this in that like this is his absolute like you're an expert in this genre Todd I would say right I, I literally am an expert yeah yeah so <laughs> he pulls out a little bag to, to you know cross your bar is like that's really it's a different project for you. <laughs> well, I, I think calling this a thriller actually does it a disservice. This is literary fiction, you know? Uh, I think calling it a thriller um, presupposes something thrilling. <laughs> There's nothing oh thrilling in this. Well, but here's the okay, here's what I don't really quite understand. Why is it that every crime story, every crime story, like, I just... I listened to the A.M. Juster book, The Girl in the Window, mm-hmm. that was a big hit, whatever. Gone Girl, obviously, like there's all those kind of... All the girl books. All the girl books, and then this one too. And all, what, Like the whole thing about the unreliable narrator who might also be the killer themselves. Like that is like, why is that such a thing? I'll tell you why that's such a thing. Um you might remember my novel Living Dead Girl, where you don't know until page Similarly, 192. That he's I was, the killer. I was on that girl title shit 20 years ahead of time. <laughs> That's um, true. <laughs> Why is there always before, an unreliable narrator realizing before that people they might were buying be the killer? it? Um, because, you know, in a typical murder mystery, it's pretty obvious who did it. And so. Yeah. Unless the book is being narrated by the cop or the detective or whatever who's searching for it, um, the only way for the character who may or may not have killed the person 
to not figure it out is to be wholly unreliable with the reader. That's the only way to sustain the mystery. So when you look at something like Sharp Objects or Gone Girl, um, both of which have unreliable narrators, you're dealing in both cases in the in the Gillian Flynn books with mental illness. And in those cases, you're also drawing empathy for the reader. Um, yeah. So you're, you're questioning reality, you're questioning motive, and you are empathizing with this character because you know this character is ill. So it creates a sort of natural way for the audience to um, to connect with a character that they might not normally connect with. There's no reason you'd want to follow around the the narrator of Sharp Objects. You know, she's horrible, <laughs> or Gone Girl for that in, for that matter. I have to recommend. There's a new horror movie out called You Might Be the Killer, where the main character actually oh. is coming to the slow slow realization that he's at a he's a counselor at a summer camp, and kids are getting killed off, and he says he calls up his friend who's an expert in horror movies, and she says, "You might be the killer." <laughs> right. There was there was a horrible. I had, so years and years and years ago, I used to review movies for E. And they sent me to go review a Lindsay Lohan movie called um, I Know Who Killed Me, (laughs) where where she's her own twin and she she might be living her twin's life. It's the worst movie I've ever seen. And it also descends into amputee porn about halfway through. Because Lindsay Lohan is missing part of her leg in some of the scenes. It's the weirdest fucking movie I've ever seen. So all of this leads me back to a criticism that I'm not going to reveal the end of the book. But like I am annoyed that all thrillers have to be like murder. You know, this book seemed for a minute like it. there maybe were no murders at all. You know what I mean? That it was about something wholly different. Um but no, it like slid right back into that um, justification, and right. that's annoying. I, a lot of thrillers are just heists, you know. Not not all thrillers, sure, are, you know. But by and large, for the stakes to be enough for you to go through in this book, you know, five hundred fucking pages or whatever it is, um, <laughs> you you there has to be that human element to it. If it's just someone's mental illness, and you're spending four hundred pages of someone's mental illness. It's not enough to make you care, or it's going to be a really dissatisfying ending. Yeah, I feel like, I mean, again, right at the start of the book, to to get you through all of that craziness, it has to be suicide. It has to be murder. It has to be something on that level to make you, A, intrigued enough, and B, you know, care enough about what's it like at least you you do kind of care about this guy yeah at least you want to know what happens to him i care more about the possum i care a lot about the I possum i really want to know if the possum's okay <laughs> but sure he's okay so like i mentioned earlier tom mccarthy and jesse ball both of them write sort of these intellectual thrillers as it were that are the reality is skewed or the world is like ours but off by like three degrees or something and I think in both of their cases, they do a lot more heavy lifting with the main character to make you empathize with that person. Even if in like the case of Remainder, the main character has been hit by space debris and doesn't have much of a personality uh, because of it, because of the brain injury, you still care about him because other people care about him. And that's the thing about this book that I had a a, a real sort of fundamental issue with is that no one really likes Ted <laughs> on top of everything else. And yeah. I didn't really like Ted. Because he is nobody. He's a plot device. Yeah. Yeah. It, for me, it was more, I, I didn't really care about Ted, but I really had a fun time re-examining all of these scenes with right. more information. Right. Mm-hmm. And I had so much fun. I think it's so interesting to, like the way that memory is so fallible and the way that everyone has their own version of what happened. And just with just a little information, things can change so much from other people's perspective. So I liked, I didn't really care about Ted, but I liked seeing what happened to him and seeing what other people wanted to happened to him or remembered about him that part i found really interesting but yes i think you could have put like put him in a t-shirt that just said plot device and right. he would have been fine <laughs> Ted, hey, plot plot device. Device. hey hey mallory it's been great having you on the show next time maybe pick a good book oh, okay <laughs> <I> <laughs> todd actually, 
dick. I have. Wow. A, I, what's funny is that I have another recommendation that maybe I'll, if I ever come back on, I will give it a book that I think you will actually really like that does something uh, similar to this, but in a very different way. Mallory, you don't have to feel like you have to please Todd. I, we, Ryder and I can tell you after a lot of experience, he's going to have his opinion. <laughs> No matter You're not what. my therapist, Mallory. You don't need to please me as an attractive woman. <laughs> if I, I'll just take my glasses off. And like, oh, my. <laughs> my opinion has changed. <laughs> All right. We've been discussing Kill the Next One by Frederico Exat, And we've been talking with Mallory O'Meara, whose book, The Lady from the Black Lagoon, Hollywood Monsters and the Lost Legacy of Millicent Patrick, is available now. I should have called it The Girl from the Black Lagoon. The Girl. <laughs> <laughs> Literary Disco is produced and edited by Justin Alvarez for Lit Hub Radio. You can reach out to us directly on Twitter at Literary Disco. Happy reading, everybody. Thanks for listening.